It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 2nd, 2017. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Uh, good to be with you, Jacob. Groundhog Day. Yeah, and uh, you're—are you really—are you here with us? I don't know. I'm, I'm still trying to get my screen set up here. Right. I think I'm ready to go. Well, Monty's here with us tonight. We're glad for that as well. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. Looking forward to your comments. And you're, Monty, you've caught up on all the podcasts now. I've, all of them, the podcasts for the Virtual Bible Studies. I've heard all of them now, as well as the sermon podcast. I've heard all the sermons except for s- about seven that wouldn't play. Did you ever get them I, fixed? I didn't get. I got. We're I got your that. list, but we're going to fix them. And uh, well, I'm about to load up your podcast feed tonight uh, in a big way, Monty, when, with our uh, gospel meeting that we just concluded. Good, because right. I need to listen to them a few more times. There, there you uh, go. They were good. Yeah, we, had, we had a good uh, weekend meeting, as we had been talking about on the Virtual Bible Study. Ken McDaniel. Uh, from Springfield, Illinois, joined us over the weekend. We had just some really good crowds and good lessons and a very encouraging weekend at College U. All right. And uh, if you uh, missed that study, check it out in our podcast feed. Go to uh, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and on the menu under uh, sign-up resources, you'll find out how to find us there. Find us on iTunes. Find us on other uh, podcast directories. But uh, check us out uh, on our sermon podcast feed. All right, we're ready to move on uh, to our next uh, special event that we're trying to do. To try to, all of these things are designed to try to get the Word of God out, Yes. as is the virtual Bible study itself is, yep. is designed to try to get the Word out. Uh, but the next thing coming up here at College View is that we are going to have what we call, and we've done this in the past, what we call neighborhood Bible studies. Right. And so we have divided the congregation up into sort of geographically logical divisions, and one family within that geographical grouping has has, uh, graciously opened their house to everybody to come, uh, invite others, invite neighbors to come for just a simple Bible study. Mm -hmm. Monty, who's on the board tonight, is one of those hosts of of one of the neighborhood Bible studies. And we we actually have broken the group down into three sections. And so uh, simultaneously on this coming Monday night and then the two Monday nights following, February 6th and 13th and 20th, we're going uh, to be having these neighborhood Bible studies. And we right. hope they'll go well. Uh, this is really designed to, as an opportunity for our folks to invite their friends and neighbors to just have some simple Bible studies. And so in preparation for that, you have graciously compiled some lessons to study during those sessions. Yeah, and we're gonna, what we're going to do tonight and the next two Thursday nights after this, Lord willing, on the virtual Bible studies, we're going to preview the material that we hope to cover uh, in those neighborhood Bible studies. And so uh, this week coming up will be our first meeting. And we thought a really good thing to do would just spend some time talking about the Bible itself and and, uh, uh, reassuring everybody uh, that it is, in fact, the inspired Word of God is worthy of our deep respect and uh, uh, and therefore, we ought to uh, really cherish the Bible. So we want to talk about its inspiration and then also talk about, uh, since it is the inspired Word of God, how we should carefully study it. What are some of the really sort of common sense rules that we ought to apply when studying the Word of God? All right. You can study along with us at home tonight and uh, take notes. But if you'd like, uh, you can make this material available to us. Yeah, we could send it out. We could put it on the website. Questions sure, sure at collegeview.com. If you'd like to have a copy of this material, we're excited about it and look forward to talking about the first lesson on it on our program tonight. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com and sign in the chat room with other listeners there. See Philip uh, in the chat room, Kevin from Hot Springs, Arkansas, Randy from Swartz Creek, Michigan. It's been a while since we've seen him hey, in the Randy. chat room. And i uh, got Arthur in Kalioka and a uh, listener out in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee tonight. Thank you all for listening. If you're not signed in, sign in the chat room. 
and comment with other listeners on the program tonight. Yeah, so this first lesson that we're going to be using in our neighborhood Bible studies is simply entitled, The Bible is Inspired, Study It Carefully. Yeah. And so what we want to start with is just some discussion about the inspiration of the Bible. Earlier today to our update list, we always remind you to get on the list if you're not by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. On Thursday, you'll get news about what we're going to be discussing. And to our update list earlier today, we sent out... These simple questions. Number one, what are some faulty views of inspiration? Number two, what's the correct way to view Bible inspiration? And give some verses that show what the Bible claims for itself concerning inspiration. Number three, what are some of the definite proofs of Bible inspiration? And then four, list some necessary rules that one must follow to properly study and understand the Bible. Yes. All right. So let's start out with the first of those. What are some faulty views of inspiration? You know, we use that word inspired, Jacob, in several different ways. You know, I saw a beautiful sunset and I was inspired to sit down and paint a picture. Yeah. You know, well, that's a fair use of the word. I mean, we've come to use the word that way. Uh, And so some people might think of the Bible that way. You know, some guys just had sort of a strong emotional experience and it just caused them to want to sit down and write something out an inanimate object could be a source of inspiration for some folks yeah animate objects could be as well someone might say you're an inspiration to me or he's an inspiration inspiration and by that we just almost use the word synonymously with motivation i was motivated to do something right and and some people might think that the bible is inspired in the sense that some men just some regular guys were motivated to sit down and write something about what they thought, which would be a wrong view of inspiration. Because if that's the case, their opinion is not any better than anybody else's. You know, there have been a lot of people who've lived through the centuries, and there's been actually been some really great thinkers who've lived through the centuries. But for that matter, every common person has an opinion. And if, if what we have in our Bible was just the opinion of individuals who were motivated to write it down, uh, the Bible wouldn't be anything particularly special at all. All kinds of books are constantly being written that express people's mind. So that wouldn't be very helpful to us if that's what we mean by Bible inspiration. Okay, certainly not. Um, uh, But some folks get a little bit farther than that with their thoughts about inspiration. They don't just make it some inanimate or even earthly object. Some folks believe that God inspired the Bible, but in sort of uh, incomplete ways. Yeah, uh, I I think an idea that a lot of people have about Bible inspiration is that God supplied the Bible writers with general concepts or yeah. main ideas, but then he let them just flesh that out, you know, you, you, right about, in other words, love. Love is, a, is, a, is a, a thorough theme of the scripture. So God supplied the notion of love as a topic, but then he left men to write it out, uh, you know, and, and fill it in the way they thought best. Uh, which, again, wouldn't be very helpful to us because that's just sort of a, a, a partial inspiration. Yes. And how would we know how to discern the parts that we should take as binding versus the part that really that's just Paul's idea, you know, that's yep. just his opinion. Or his cultural bias. Yeah. Now, you said it's not very helpful for us to have that view of inspiration, but it is very helpful for some people to have that view of inspiration as they try to discount parts of the scripture. Helpful if you want to not have to do some of the things you don't right. like in the Bible. So if, if there's something you see in the Bible that doesn't seem right to you, does, it doesn't no, mesh no with what you No women preachers. You know, no women ever. These people would say, well, that was just the cultural bias of the day. Paul was, in fact, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, a male chauvinist a ma- pig. A male chauvinist pig. <laughs> Thank you, Monty. Uh, and uh, so we can just ignore that business about women having limited roles, limited public leadership yeah. roles in the church. Right. Same for uh, God's rule on divorce, that there's only one scriptural cause for divorce. Well, I find that in the Bible. I mean, it's black and white there. I can't say it's not and there. And that probably was the way they they acted back then. Yeah. 
And I can't deny it's in the Bible, but I've got to figure out some way to discount it. So I'll just say, well, that that's not really It inspiring. was cultural to the moment. Yeah, and, and not, it just sort of found its way into the Bible as they were writing yeah, it. I mean, you've yeah. got to expect that these little biases are gonna, biases are going to work their way in. And so that's what that was. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th- these kinds of... I think it's really important for us to understand that the word... When people say they believe the Bible is inspired, it does not necessarily... That's not necessarily the acid test, just to say you believe in Bible inspiration. You've got to define what you mean by inspiration. We we put that question out. We've got a couple of emails back on that. Yep. A friend, Ramona, that we haven't heard from in a long time. I think Ramona is in Illinois. Uh, she said, among other faulty ideas of inspiration, allegorical. Uh, yeah. Literal meaning uh, of the text is either not true or has many meanings. The preachers who talk about the coming of the rapture use the book of Revelation for this. Uh, so an allegorical sense of in- inspiration. She says, literalistic method, she says, which the Mormons use. They take metaphors and symbols and make them real. She references Psalm 18, verses 6 or 10. Or in the face of, uh, uh, or as in the face of God is not literal but connotes God's presence. Others that use this are Jehovah's Witnesses. First, when they talk about Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, and Catholics when they talk about transubstantiation. So, uh, rather than a view of inspiration, I would I would suggest that those those literalistic methods may be more of a matter of interpretation. But we'll get we'll we'll make that a little clearer. But I think Ramona's on track that some people are approaching the Bible in wrong ways. All right. And uh, Patrick is uh, signs in tonight uh, with an email and also in the chat room. Good to have Patrick with us. We haven't seen you in a while. Patrick, thanks. Well, good to see you, Patrick. Uh, Patrick says uh, that uh, I think one common view is uh, a faulty view of inspiration is view is that the translations of the scriptures are inspired or inerrant. They are not. The most notable example is this King James onlyism. That's the idea that the only yeah. acceptable translation is the King only James. acceptable English translation is King James, and that the translators who translated the King James were actually inspired to, to so make false, this translation, which is just, I, I agree with Patrick, right. just absolutely a false idea. He says, though I think in a subtler fashion, many people will read the Bible in their native language without studying the original text and come up with a misunderstanding based on an inaccurate translation. This is not to say that the translation is inherently bad, but some things are difficult to accurately translate. Though this is my only my opinion, personal opinion, the only translation that even might have any claim to inspiration or inerrancy is the Septuagint translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. This, this story of how the Septuagint came to be aside, this is the version of the Scriptures which the apostles quoted when they quoted the Scripture in the New Testament. Yeah, the Septuagint uh, was a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into the Koine Greek of the first century. Yeah. Uh, and so they would quote it. Jesus quoted from the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm like Patrick. I would I would probably come up a little short saying that that was absolutely a, an inspired translation. But of course, even if it was, it wouldn't be too helpful for most of us because we don't know Hebrew. We, <laughs> yeah. We're not fluent in Hebrew yeah. or Greek, yeah. so we're really dependent upon English translations. But there are a number of reliable English translations. I don't think any of them are flawless. I don't think the King James is flawless. Like Patrick said, it's just definitely not. I mean, we can point to errors in the in the King James. I don't think any of the things that are wrong in the King James would prevent someone from accurately learning the truth to save their soul. Uh, but it, it, it does have its flaws because it's it's of a human construction. Now, good translations, the King James included, good translations were were composed by teams of translators working together. Not just one man who was able to squeeze in his own biases as he translated, but they were they were translated by teams of scholars, and because the scholars were mm, sort of wanting to make sure that their own reputation for scholarliness was observed, wouldn't want to put something in there that other scholars on the team would say, what are you talking about? That's crazy. That's not in there. You, you add something that's not even in the text. So uh, King James had such a team of translators. A number of other reliable translations are available in English. We're talking about English translations here, of course. And, and uh, the, tra- the Bible has been translated into 1,700 different languages in the world. We're not, but, but when we talk about inspiration, 
We're especially talking about in that original form, in the original languages, in, in the original autographs. That's what we call them. The, the documents that were actually penned by the inspired men. But what about those original autographs? That, uh, you know, uh, how are we to view the inspiration of those? Um, I think that's really important. All right. And uh, Patrick's in the chat room as well. He says, and this is, this is really what it breaks down. This is what you get when you get to this idea that God just penned little concepts and let the authors write about that. Uh, Monty, here's what he said. He said, I spoke with a woman recently who told me she believed Paul was gay because of the things he wrote. You know, that's the kind of stuff you get. That's the kind of garbage that you'll get when you take on this idea that, well, not everything's inspired. Then you start to even question why the writer wrote it from human his human perspective and his human fallacy and, and his human sinfulness that he would have worked into the text. Uh, the crazy ideas you get when you take a, this approach. Uh, apparently she's a co-pastor at a Methodist church that is openly pro-abortion, so I suspect her opinion of Paul is one aspect of a larger set of problems. I, I would agree. I think so too. And that's what you get. When you wanna when you want to try to find a way to avoid what it teaches, you can you can discount the validity of the text, but when you do, you open up Pandora's box. Yeah. Uh Kevin says if I wrote the Bible it would be it would have turned out differently. All the heroes would have been infallible. So we can see a different mind than man is at the Bible's source. I think that's really good. And we're going to talk yeah, about some arguments of, yeah. of Bible inspiration. But I, I agree with Kevin. You know, there the way the Bible is written. In fact, I preached a sermon not too terribly long ago simply asking the question, who wrote this? And then describing some some things told in the Bible and pointing out that if men on their own had written it, it wouldn't have been written that way. That's kind of an interesting study, just yeah. a way to approach it uh, in itself. All right, let's get a break. When we get back, we're going to look at... What the Bible says about itself, surprisingly, the Bible tells us how it is inspired, and we'll find uh, out about that when we get back. The f- chat room is filling up. If you're not in, uh, signed in there, sign in and send us your comments, or give us a call, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this announcement. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, there it stands. Emperor's decree its extermination, there it stands. Atheists rail against it, there it stands. Agnostics smile cynically, there it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it, there it stands. Unbelief abandons it, there it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration, there it stands. The flames are kindled against it, there it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it, there it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment, there it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. Here's some quotes worth pondering. A wise man sometimes changes his mind, but a fool never does. Anyone can commit a mistake, but only a fool continues in it. Whatever you dislike in another, make sure to correct in yourself. While leadership training is important, we also need some followership training. A man's words reveal his thoughts and his character. Goodness is the only investment that never fails. Man, wish I'd said that. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, our upcoming neighborhood Bible studies, and we're reviewing some of the uh, material that we'll discuss in those studies with you tonight as uh, we talk about uh, the inspiration of the Bible and uh, what the Bible tells us about how it is inspired. Okay, so let's go to this second question. What's the correct way to view Bible inspiration? Um, I found a quote that that I put in our outline from from a fellow that I don't know anything about named Frank Gabeline uh, in a book called the The Meaning of Inspiration. He said, 
By verbal inspiration, we mean, quote, the original documents of the Bible were written by men who, though permitted the exercise of their own personalities and literary talents, yet wrote under the control and guidance of the Spirit of God, the result being in every word of the original documents a perfect and errorless recording of the exact message which God desired to give to man. I think that's a pretty good way to put it because it does does two things. It says that God put in there exactly what he wanted in there. But he used these human authors in such a way that that you can distinguish the writing. In other words, you can distinguish the writing of the Apostle John from the writings of the Apostle Paul. And so he, he mentions there God permitted the exercise of their own personality and literary talents. But they were controlled in such a way that they weren't allowed to put anything in there that God didn't want in there and put in exactly what he did want in there. Uh, and so I think that's a, an interesting way to look at it. And it helps us understand how, how can we tell, how can, if it's all by God, why isn't it all of a uniform literary construction? Yeah. It's, it's clearly not. And we can distinguish the different writers by the style of their writing. But God was guiding them in such a fashion that they put on the page exactly what he wanted them to put down. All right, that's an interesting uh, man's take on it, but it does harmonize with what the Scriptures teach. Yeah, the Scriptures actually claim this. Um, in Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Um, Notice that the word inspiration is actually in that text. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Yes. Uh, that word is translated from a compound word in the Greek, theonoutos. Noutos. Uh, actually, which means God breathed. It's as though God breathed out the words that are in the scripture. When we speak, we breathe out. We have to breathe air out. In order to make words. That's how we form words. And so this is saying that that's exactly how the scriptures came to be. God mm-hmm. breathed them out. They are inspired by God uh, as if spoken directly by God himself. Yes. Now that's uh, what um, the New Testament tells us about the scriptures, that they are inspired by God. It, that that harmonizes what with what so many of the prophets of the Old Testament told us about uh, what they were prophesying. Exactly. Second Samuel chapter 23, David, uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel, verse 1 says, describes it this way in verse 2 of Second Samuel chapter 23, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. His word on my tongue. He spoke by me. I was his mouthpiece, yeah. but he was putting the words in my mouth. Exactly right. All right. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Now, he didn't say, I put my thoughts in your head. Exactly. He said, I put my words in your mouth. That's a big difference. Exactly. And uh, that is the idea that, that God, that all scripture, every word, is there because God desired not, to be. Not ideas, but actual words. Now, Jesus had an interesting view of, of the inspiration of the Bible in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Notice what he said in Matthew 5, beginning of verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not, or does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus said here that he came to fulfill the law, and he didn't come just to fulfill the big concepts. You know, they love your neighbor as yourself, honor uh, God, and uh, put no gods before. He didn't come to just the, the general concepts. He came to fulfill every bit of the Old Testament. Yeah, that jot and tittle, we understand, uh, were the smallest strokes of the pen in the Hebrew writing alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet is very complex, um, and, but but just a, a little stroke of the pen, a jot or a tittle, yep. would change the meaning of a, of a word. Jesus said that, what we would say is every 
I is dotted, every T is crossed because God said to do it that way. And so Jesus said the slightest strokes of the pen are there because they are they are meant to be there. The Greek word for jod, interestingly enough, is iota. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus said it the same way we say it today. Every iota. Not one iota of the yeah. law is going to pass away until I fulfill it all. Yeah, all yeah right. exactly right. Okay. Th- then in Matthew 10, Jesus promised his disciples, he says, When they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. Jesus said to his to his apostles, don't even think ahead of what you're going to say because the very things you should say will be told you, given to you in that in that hour of persecution. All right, so not just a general idea, not just let the writers take an idea and run with it, but instead that he would put in the actual words that they should say, the actual words that are preserved for us in the New Testament are there because God wanted those words to be there. Similarly, in Luke 21:14. Jesus told them, settle it, therefore, in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. You don't have to think about it. Don't meditate on it. Don't spend time worrying about it. It's going to be given you. And I'm going to give you the thoughts in the heat of the moment. I'm going to give you the words. Yeah. And they weren't even to, to give consideration because God would give them the words. Exactly right. Okay. Um, let's go over and then look at what Paul said about, uh, about inspiration and how uh, he was inspired to teach the things that he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 11, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. Now, here Paul says that he's presenting the things that God had revealed to him. God does, you can't know the mind of a man, you can't know the mind of God unless the man or God tells you. So God told them his mind. But notice he goes on and tells us how he told them. He didn't tell them, I just, he just gave me ideas. God said we need to love other people, and that's what he told me. No, he said here in verse 13, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul said God told gave him his word. mind, but he did it by giving the actual words. words. Exactly right. All right. All right. Uh, and then maybe one more. We've got to go kind of quickly here. We're going to run up against a uh, time limitation. But in First Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 13, Paul said concerning the Thessalonians, he said, that For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul said, You didn't receive it as my word. You of the word of a man, you received it as the word of God. All right. Uh, Ramona in Texas chimes in. Uh, Ramona, good to hear from you tonight. She says, Paul, uh, she references 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired uh, by God. She says, Paul is referring to the entirety of the Old Testament as being inspired. The word inspired is literally God-breathed. This is an interesting phrase since it applies the scriptures are from the mouth of God. And then she says, notes Peter says in Second Peter chapter one verse twenty one, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Peter is stating that prophecy is not the product of human will. Instead, prophecy occurs by those moved by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for those uh, comments tonight, Ramona. Okay, in the chat room, Philip said. Uh, as mentioned, some believe the Bible is not to be taken literally. Others, like the Mormons, do not believe that it's infallible. Yet, uh, would have us to believe that the Book of Mormon is to be believed as the inspired Word of God equal to the Bible. So my thought or question, if both are equal, Bible and Book of Mormon, and one is incorrect, how can, how can I trust or believe the other one? You know, we just, a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a program in which we discussed some of that Mormon claim against the Bible. And I think really what they say is they, that it become corrupted over time. Not that it wasn't accurate initially, but it's become so corrupted over time that you can't trust it. Therefore, we need a latter-day revelation. And that's what they claim the writings of Joseph Smith provide. And I, I, I think Philip probably was in with us on that discussion a couple of weeks ago, but that's in our archives, uh, uh, how the Mormons denigrate the Bible, really. Yep. Cast 14, or 4181 says the devil is good at twisting scripture. Some people say that because Paul referred to the gospel as his gospel, he had a different gospel than Jesus did. 
There's only one gospel, though. That's right. And uh, certainly that... Uh, and Paul claims his gospel was given to him by God. Okay. All right. And then Kevin says, I'm very concerned when someone tells me that a portion of Scripture is not inspired. Once that idea is put forth and takes root, we have little chance of rightly guessing which are and are not inspired. I think that's exactly right. If it's, if it's not all inspired and we can't have confidence in it being all inspired, how would we know what part to trust and what part not to trust? And that's where we are in the religious world today, Monty. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the religious world who try to tell us, well, we can't go by the Bible. Like you said, it's been corrupted over the years, and it's just a, it's a good theme to kind of live by, but we can't really accept it as the inspired Word of God without fault or error. Well, if that's the case, throw the thing in the trash and let's go fishing because we don't know what to do. Well, if you're going to throw out this verse because you think it's not inspired, then I get I get to throw out a verse, too, and then... And then so-and-so gets pretty soon. Sooner or later, throw it's it all, all gone, and it's wasted. Yep, all right. Um, some people saying they're having trouble with the video. Uh, Count your blessings. They're, yeah, they're, refresh, they're saying they're refreshing their browser and getting it back, so I don't know what's going on with that. Okay. Guest4181 says the 66 books of the Bible the early church considered inspired and included in the canon of scriptures are only books that can be trusted. There are no lost books of the Bible uh, either that are inspired or they would have also been included in the canon. Um, we've, we've studied the canon of the scriptures and some of the rules uh, that established the canon of the scriptures. Uh, uh, that's a real interesting study. We don't have time to really dive into it again, but again, a lot of scholarly consideration uh, in the field of textual criticism has has been engaged through the centuries and i do think we can have tremendous confidence in the books that compose our bibles today all right let's take a break and when we get back we want to look at some proofs of inspiration so the bible can claim the bible's not the only book that's ever claimed that it was inspired by god or that every word was inspired by god it's a claim can we believe it? Can we have confidence that what the Bible? You know, is- you can claim anything. Yeah, I've, I've I've teased before. I could claim that in a one-on-one basketball game with Michael Jordan, I could beat him every time. I can claim that, but I'd have to sure provide some proof before anybody would believe it, right? So, yeah. a claim, and the Bible claims it. We what really all we've talked about so far is what the Bible claims for itself. What's the proof of it? Yeah. We'll get to the proof on the other side of this week's bullet point. We want your comments. Send them in now. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. What if no one ever invited me into their home? I'm thinking here especially of fellow Christians. What if they never made any attempt to socialize with me? What if they never included me in their plans for fun and entertainment? If this happened, several things would come to mind. First, I know that I would be missing out on something that is very good. There's a real source of encouragement that comes from associating closely with other Christians. Paul spoke of brotherly love and urged us to be, quote, preferring one another, Romans 12, verse 10. Our own experience confirms that it is a great help to have close friends who are also our brethren in Christ. Second, if my brethren never wanted to socialize with me, I begin to wonder about me. What is there about me that makes folks not want to be around me? I remember that wise Solomon said, quote, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, Proverbs 18, verse 24. Have I failed to show friendliness to others? Have I been neglecting my responsibility toward them? Have I not done my part to try to develop these close personal ties? Maybe other Christians would be happy to spend time with me if I showed them that I was interested in this type of relationship. This is a two-way street. I have to give if I hope to receive. Don't you see that? Finally, there is a bottom line to all these considerations. If no one ever invited me into their home, yes, I'd be missing something good, and yes, I would want to take careful look at myself, but I could still be a faithful Christian. After all, my faith and hope is not founded upon a social relationship with other people. It is founded upon a spiritual commitment to my Savior. We've heard of folks who fell away, who became unfaithful, and when asked why they fell away, they said, The people at that church are unfriendly. That's a sad thing, and we could do better. We should do better. But we also know that that such a statement shows that those people have never established a right relationship with their Lord. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Wow, this Internet thing is really growing. And what could be better than using the Internet for Bible study? I guess that's what they were thinking when they dreamed up the virtual Bible study. Good idea, don't you think? 
Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting the website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We'd love your comments at any time. Questions at collegeview.com or maybe suggest a future topic for the virtual Bible study. Questions at collegeview.com. You can also use that email address, questions at collegeview.com, to request your free bumper sticker to help share uh, the program with others and uh, and help us get the word out there. Exactly right. We got us some requests this week for bumper stickers, so let's get those out and there. We got some new ones, long yeah. and skinny, and uh, or you can do the round ones, whichever yeah. one you want. Yeah. Specify. Uh, they're free. We want you to help us spread the word, if you will. All Questions right. at collegeview.com. All right. Let's so let's go to some definite Bible proofs of inspiration. Um, and uh, I could use Rona, Ramona's email to really get us started on that. She said fulfilled prophecy is a powerful proof of inspiration, and I think she's exactly right. Uh, easily confirmed prophecies about people and nations are numerous in the Old Testament. Messianic prophecies uh, about the coming of the Savior uh, predicted for instance, Jesus' life in exact detail. There were 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. They came to fruition exactly as they were specified in the Old Testament. How do people know, for instance, one of the most beautiful passages of prophecy about the Messiah is in Isaiah chapter 53, where Isaiah wrote about the suffering of the Savior and his, and his death on the cross. Isaiah wrote that 700 years or more before Jesus lived. How did he know? And how could he speak in such detail about what would happen? Well, that's our answer, inspiration, because God gave him that information, not because he dreamed it up on his own, but because it was given to him by God. And uh, don't discount the type-antitype relationships in the Bible as another uh, portion of that prophecy, that prophetic looking forward to Christ. We see all throughout the Old Testament these these types that are presented that uh, foretell of Christ and are fulfilled in his in his life. And certainly, uh, that is in, uh, excellent proof that the Bible is inspired. Uh, another proof that Ramona mentions is the unity of the Scripture. Approximately 40 human authors over a period of 1,600 years, all unified. I think that's a great proof. Uh, how did those 40 different authors, you know, they wrote, over, as she said, they wrote over a period of about 1,600 years. We could add they wrote on three different continents. They wrote in different languages. Yep. But when you put their finished work all together, there's no there's no contradiction of those right. authors. How did that happen? You can't get forty people to agree right now. You couldn't get two people, two contemporary people likely yeah. to write a story if they weren't. You put contemporary people that didn't collaborate. Yeah. Put them in two separate rooms and have them write a story and then put it together and see how much those those harmonize. They they won't even people who are living in the same t- era let alone these folks that were living over a period of some 1,600 years with different backgrounds, different uh, experiences, and that they wrote a book that is totally harmonious. Yeah. Couldn't happen unless they were being you think guided. about things like you mentioned David. He was a king. Uh, you think of uh, uh, others who were priests. You think of Amos, for instance, who was a simple herdsman. They came from all kinds of varied backgrounds, different educational levels. Moses was... Moses was a highly educated man, probably received the best education a person could possibly get in Egypt when he was growing up in Egypt. Uh, But again, others were just uh, common people, uh, and yet you put their work all together, no contradiction, a harmony. That's that to me, I think, as Ramona mentions, great proof. She goes on to say, also consider the writings of Josephus, a historian who recorded much of the history of Israel during the first century. And in his records, some events which coincide with the scriptures, considering the evidence given, we have no choice but to accept the Bible being from God. There are these external sources of proof, archaeology. They're they're constantly digging up things in the in the geographical areas where the Bible events took place, and as they dig them up, more and more confirmation that the that the Bible is accurate. Of course, if inspiration is true, it would have to be true when it's spoke about things like geology or uh, geography rather and archaeology would have to prove these things to be true if it had errors in other words if it said a city was in a certain place and it was found out to be in a totally different place we'd have sort of a problem with that yes Uh, if god inspired it did he not know what he was talking about when he talked about that city yeah but but 
There is none of that in the Bible. It's all accurate. All right, and that's what Kevin mentions in the chat room. He says, I may have mentioned this before. Uh, Archaeology shows that most of the cities mentioned in the Bible existed. The Book of Mormon also claims inspiration, yet none of the cities mentioned in it have ever been found. So uh, the, the, the Bible is not an archaeology book, but we would expect, if it's from God, that when it mentions cities, that'd be right. It's not a science book either, but when it touches on things that science could later come along and confirm or deny, it was always accurate in the things that it described. It, it, even though it was written in an age where scientific knowledge was not as complete as it is today. Right. I don't think our scientific knowledge is all that complete today. Right. Right. But we certainly know some things that they didn't know back then by yeah. natural science. Yeah. And yet they've never shown that the Bibles misspoke on a scientific theme. But And certainly they were misguided on a lot of scientific things like we are today, no doubt. But those misguidings and misunderstandings didn't find their way into the Bible, even exactly. by you know, you know just casual reference. Those yeah. misguided references are not there, so certainly uh, they're devoid of the misunderstandings of the day. Guest 4181 says, many times science has been proven wrong. Christopher Columbus claimed to be a Christian, and yet he set out to prove the world was not flat because the scriptures said hundreds of years before that God set the whole circle Set on the whole circle of the world, yeah. Uh, and so the the scriptures are uh, devoid of those scientific misunderstandings of the day. Kevin says, "I'd like to see if Greg, Jacob, and Monty could write the same thing." We couldn't. If you set us apart in separate rooms right. and told us to write, write. Uh, we had we had uh, Ken McDaniel here Sunday preaching to us. So send the three of us to three different rooms here in the, in this building. And have us write down the main points of the sermon that Ken preached on Sunday morning, and we would not agree. I'll need the podcast tomorrow for that. Yeah, yeah, but you can't have it. Sorry, you got got to do it from memory. No, that's right. You just take that on anything with your wife. Write down what happened last Friday, and you'll have differing accounts probably uh, just because of the different. uh, uh, It's impossible for folks to. To harmonize uh, many times. Philip in the chat room says, take example of newspaper articles written covering the same story often reflect the viewpoint of the writer and they differ in the slant in which they are written. Exactly right. Right, right. The agenda, we, we, that, that would be one thing for sure uh, that uh, would be missing here. Okay. Now, one quick thing and then we've got to take our break and then we're going to go spend our last segment talking about some simple common sense rules for Bible study. But one more thing we want to say, and, and we've got whole programs in our archives of the virtual bible study on the idea of the reliability of the transmission of the bible so it was inspired the oldest parts of the old testament were written like 1500 years before christ and then of course the new testament was written in the first century a.d so the newest parts of the bible are are 2000 years old the oldest parts of the bible are 35 3600 years old Oh man, there's a lot of lot of room for error there. A lot of room for error. Yeah. And again, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how the Mormons claim that's exactly what's happened, yes. but they are dead wrong on that. Yes. And we, there's just an abundance of proof that the Bible has been reliably conveyed through the centuries to us. Uh, and if you if you wonder about that, go back and listen to that. Uh, program where we talked about Mormon attacks on the Bible, and there's also some other in our archives about the how the Bible was transmitted through the centuries. It is the most documented book of antiquity. Uh, scores more uh, documents of the New Testament and Old Testament than any other book of antiquity that is not at all even questioned. Exactly right. And yet people want to question the validity of the Bible. Uh, it's not it's not reasonable to do so. Exactly right. All right. Uh, and again, check our archives for uh, for some discussion on those points. Okay, we need to get a break. When we get back, how do you study the Bible? It's important. The, yeah. if, it, if it is if it isn't truly the inspired word of God, which we believe that it is, we have a message here from God. Yeah. You're not going to take that lightly. How are you going to study that message uh, it, from God? Exactly right. All right, we'll get to that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study goes to the top of the hour. Right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but 
has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in Him for salvation by doing what He says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. As a result of the growing popularity of incorporating contemporary music into traditional worship services, churches are using a greater variety of musical instruments than ever before. Regular use of digital pianos and keyboards, drums, and brass and woodwinds increased about 150% each year since 1993. That information is via Christianity Today. The Word of God says in Colossians 3, verse 17, And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program. If you want to know what we believe about instrumental music in worship, check out our archives for that. Uh, You'll find... Uh, many programs on that. We're talking about uh, the inspiration of the Bible. We've shown from the scriptures that they say that the, that the scriptures teach that every word is inspired by God, and the proof is there in some of the things we've noted. And now, how do you study that inspired word of God? Let's just start out with some common sense things. Uh, if, if it is, like you said earlier, Jacob, if it is from God, then it's got to be taken very seriously, and some diligence should be applied, some regularity, some some real searching of the scriptures should happen. You know, if you've received a love letter from someone very near and dear, you would sit down and really dig into that. You would read it, you would reread it, you'd read it again, you'd set it aside for a little while, come back to it and read it again, because the person who sent it to you is important to you, and you want to know their heart. You want to know right. what they're really trying to convey to you. That's the way we should approach the Bible. This is from God, our Heavenly Father, our Creator. We should be ex- more interested in what he has to say than any anybody else. And so we just need to devote some time and energy to the study of the Bible. And very few people are doing that, sadly. Right. It's very important. Uh, Monty, you wouldn't uh, approach anything else. Like if, if your doctor wrote you some instructions on what you needed to do about this or that, uh, you'd carefully inspect those instructions. Why wouldn't you do the same from God? You know, recently we went for a, <clears throat> some tests for Tina, and they did, we did get some instructions on certain things, and they sent them home with And I did read over them two or three times to make sure that we knew exactly what we needed to do to get the most accurate results from these tests. Well, physically, if we live to be a really long time, we might live to be 100 years old, which is next to nothing in the grand scheme of things of eternity. So the message God has sent us, we need to give a lot of attention and devotion to because how we react to that message is going to determine where we're going to spend forever eternally. And so we need to know exactly what it says, understand it exactly right, so that we can do what it says, so we can go to be eternally with God. Exactly. Exactly right. Okay. So um, in addition to just studying it diligently and regularly, one real important thing to do, Jacob, is understand that the Bible has different divisions of the Bible. The the main division that everyone should be able to observe is the Old Testament and New Testament. But even within the Old Testament, there's a couple different sections of the Old Testament. There's the, the, the period of time before Moses when God was speaking to the patriarchs of the family. Sometimes we call it the patriarchal period. God was giving specific instructions to individual heads of families, like Noah, for instance. God told Noah to build an ark. He didn't tell anybody else to build an ark. And I don't have to build an ark, but Noah had to build an ark. That's just a simple thing, but... You know, it, it makes sense to understand that the, not all of the Bible addresses people in the modern day. The New Testament does. Now, the Old Testament, part of it was the God's law through Moses to the nation of Israel. Right. 
and, and that included things like animal sacrifices and dietary laws and so forth. Well, that wasn't to us. Uh, what we live by today is the New Testament of Jesus Christ contained in what we call the, the, 20, the 27 books of the New Testament. Some passages you might reference at home. It's Galatians 5, verse 4, and Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Other passages could be supplied as well to show that we're no longer under those previous dispensations, neither the patriarchal or the mosaical, but we're under the law of Christ today. Yeah. Um, Another rule I would add is make sure you know who's speaking and to whom they are speaking. Uh, Sometimes the Bible conveys words that were spoken by people who weren't inspired. For instance, uh, one I like to reference is Job chapter 2, verse 9. Job's wife told him, Curse God and die. Yeah. Now those words are there because God wanted them to be Those there. words are that. That's really what she said, and that's a and that's God. an inspired recording right. of her words. But her words out of her mouth were not inspired and should not be followed. They weren't right. particularly good advice. They were not good advice. They weren't. They weren't an instruction from God. So what we have is an inspired account of uninspired words. So you know you you got to understand that, and you got to you got to use some common sense in in reading it. And that is inspired, uh, uninspired words. But there's inspired words as well that aren't intended for us. For instance, Mark 16, uh, verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And they will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly uh, anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Jesus isn't telling us to go out and drink hydrochloric acid, that was uh, to a different people in a different circumstance. On a different circumstance. Uh, Along those same lines, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus being assembled together with them. Well, who who was the them? Well, you go back a couple of verses. uh, It it speaks about the apostles whom he had chosen in verse 2, Acts 1, verse 2. And to them... He commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That wasn't, I'm not to go to Jerusalem and wait around for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That instruction wasn't given to me. Well, that's just, to me, that's just common sense. Observe who is speaking and to whom they are speaking. To make sense of any given text. Are those words from inspired people? Uh, and even if they if are. If they are, are they directed to us? Exactly. Two things we need to observe as we look at uh, the Bible. Certainly you got to observe the context uh, in which a statement is made. Uh, you can pull some things out of context and come up with some real goofy conclusions. And one of the classic examples of that, I'm sure we probably referenced it on the Virtual Bible Study in the past, Matthew 27, verse 5, says that Judas went out and hanged himself. And Luke 10, uh, verse 37, is the expression, go do thou likewise. Well, if if I put those two things, Judas went out and hanged himself, go do this, go and, and, and do likewise. The Bible's telling me go hang myself. Well, that's just ridiculous, obviously. Yeah, right. But that's the that's the kind of thing that you can get into if you try to just snatch a phrase out here and a phrase out there, cram them together. You got if you do that, you're going to really end up with all kinds of error. Lots of times that does happen, not yeah. in the silly extreme that I just but illustrated. But not far from it. But not too far from <laughs> it. We got to observe context. Yeah, they're hanging themselves spiritually, uh, in other words. Yeah. All right. Um, I think Ramona mentioned this in her... Yeah, she says, don't pick at verses. Read and study it as a whole. Learn what verses in the Old Testament refer to, which ones in the New Testament. Um, Make it like a theological map. Follow the routes leading from the Old and New and why they are there. Yeah. And uh, she concludes her email tonight. And again, thank you, Ramona, for contacting us. Pray to for to God for wisdom to understand. And James chapter one verse five tells mm-hmm. us we can do that. Yes, and God will give liberally to yeah. those who ask. And, yeah. uh, so thank you for that, Ramona. Um, so we got to uh, observe the immediate context in which statements made, and then also uh, observe the broader context of the whole Bible, because as we said earlier, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so as you study the Bible, you cannot put a meaning on one passage 
that forces a contradiction with the meaning of another passage. Right. And so, so you observe the immediate context of which a thing is said, and then you observe the broader context of the whole Bible. And Kevin says, absolutely, context clues are the most important ways we can communicate in our English language. Okay. And so Kevin says, look at the context clues. Um, and then w- w- another thing uh, you got to do is you got to figure out if something is being spoken literally or figuratively. All right. Uh, a lot and if, of error here. Yeah, if you try to force a literal interpretation on a figurative phrase, you got all kinds of trouble. We know this. Uh, I've used the example lots of times. It rained cats and dogs at my house the other day. Literally? No, that's an expression. That's an expression meant for emphasis. It rained. It really rained hard. And we use a, an expression. I don't even know where it came from, but we use the expression, it rained cats and dogs. Well, we know that that's not literal. Nobody would even imagine it's literal. You would understand that I'm making a statement intended to emphasize how hard it rained. Yeah. Well, the Bible has literal and figurative statements in it, and and we've got to be careful not to try and force a literal meaning on a figurative passage, or for, for that matter, try to go figurative when the passage is literal. You've got to you've got to make that discernment. All right. Lots of mistakes have happened over time with folks trying to put a literal interpretation on a figurative passage and vice versa, uh, certainly uh, something to be aware of. Yeah, and, and, and there's some examples. We just don't have time to go to them, but there's lots of examples of that sort of thing. In the chat room, Kevin says, uh, Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteousness righteous rules endures forever. Can't pick and choose, Kevin says. That's along the lines of Ramona, is don't just pick verses out of context. And one more thing I would add here, Jacob, is let the... Easy parts of the Bible help you understand the more complex parts of the Bible. Clearly, some parts of the Bible are harder to understand than others. In in Second uh, Peter three verse sixteen, Peter said that some of the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. I think he's right. I, I, sometimes when I'm trying to understand parts of the Book of Romans, I think Peter was right that some of the things Paul wrote are hard to understand. But what I can do is I can take the things that are easily understood. And then let them help me understand the more complex parts of the Bible because the complex parts cannot contradict the simple parts. Right, right. So just use that common sense rule. Same thing you do with any other field of study that you were engaged in. You'd start with the simple and then move to the more complex and allow the simple to uh, to guide you in the areas of, the, of more complexity. Philip, I mean, excuse me, yeah, Patrick, Patrick sent in his email... He said, to interpret Scripture correctly, we must believe, we must be attentive to what the human authors truly wanted to affirm and to what God wanted to reveal to us by their words. In order to discover the sacred author's intentions, we must take into account the conditions of their time and culture, the literary genres of the, of that time, and the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating then current. Scripture must be read and interpreted in, interpreted in the light of the, of the same spirit by whom it was written. We must be especially attentive to the content and unity of the whole scripture. Similarly, we must be attentive to the coherence of the truths of faith among themselves and within the whole plan of the divine revelation. We must read scripture in the context of the life of the church. And I'm not sure exactly how Phil, uh, Patrick would apply that last expression. But I do agree wholeheartedly that we've got to, all these truths have to be coherent. It's not saying one thing in one place and something else in another Whatever understanding we place upon a given passage has to be coherent with everything else taught in the rest of the Well, that was one proof we had of inspiration that there is a coherent theme. And so if uh, the interpretation I put on this breaks that coherency, then I've obviously taken the wrong interpretation. And, and And there is value in what he said about thinking about the time and culture in which the Bible was written. Not to say that because our culture has changed, the truths of the Bible have changed. But to help us understand, maybe, for instance, some of the parables that Jesus taught, we, we help ourselves in studying some of those parables to know some of the cultural things that, that are implied as, uh, in telling the story. You know, for instance, when it, uh, when it talked about, uh, oh, I don't know, the prodigal son, is, and uh, the prodigal son wanted his father to give him the inheritance which was his. Well, to know something about the cultural norms of uh, supplying inheritance. Or why it was so bad that he was feeding swine. Why was it, well, why was it bad that he'd be fe- feeding swine? So those kind of things are really helpful. And really, whole volumes have been written about Bible times and customs. And it's very valuable to study those things. 
because it gives us some insights to those texts. All right. And uh, Kevin says, let's not go to the book of Revelation first, like many folks do. That's the idea of understand the simple first and then go on to the more complex. And uh, Kevin says, I was recently having a Bible study and during the fourth lesson brought up this point, but it should be stated first as a strong foundation. And that is the areas of how we obtain authority, direct command, examples by the apostles, and necessary inference. And uh, we'll be getting into that in a few Yeah, that's weeks. going to be one of our other studies in this three-week uh, um, plan that we have that we're calling our Neighborhood Bible Studies. We're, uh, we're going to have them next Monday and really the next three Monday nights. Uh, in neighborhoods here in Columbia, Tennessee, and we're going to. This is going to be our, the, what we talked about tonight. Is going to be our first lesson. Uh, we're going to have a couple others. We're going to try to preview them on subsequent be virtual here for the next two uh, Thursday nights, yeah. and uh, as we continue this discussion. And uh, if you'd like uh, these notes, and maybe you'd want to use them for yourself, questions at collegeu.com is how you can obtain a copy. Yeah, we can of send. Those. We got them in a Word document. We can put them in a PDF. We might even put those up on our website. All right, some uh, important concepts tonight, Monty. We have. Uh, well, largely uh, neglected to speak with you tonight. Any parting comments? Uh, well, it's just, as we were saying, the Bible is God's Word. It's inspired by God. It's His message to us on what we need to do to be able to spend eternity with Him. So we need to give it a lot of attention and understand it properly. All right. And uh, you won't uh, be able to understand it by just a casual reading. No, because as we was talking, the Apostle Peter said some of Paul's writings was difficult. And we can't, if we read through those, we can't just casually read them and understand them. They require some effort on our part. And so we need to give it that diligent effort so that we can understand what God intended for us to know. And you think about, uh, well, we were out of time, but you think about uh, the, the blessing of having a printed copy of your very own. Yeah. On your phone even, Monty. Yeah. And, uh, and you don't even have to read it now. You can listen to I it. I get to listen to it all day. Can you imagine what folks would have done to have that 2,000 years ago? A thousand years, well, 2,000 years ago. 50 years ago. 50 years ago, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Certainly a blessing we need to be studying. All right, Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Monty, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for joining us. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope to make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.